Poised for Exit is a show for business owners who want to achieve a successful future exit based on their own terms. Your business exit will likely be the biggest financial transaction of your life, and for most, you'll have one shot at doing it right. The topic and guests we feature and the stories they share will provide valuable ideas and strategies to improve operations and grow enterprise value so you can achieve the best possible exit outcome. Now here's your host, Julie Keys. Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the podcast show for business owners. In this episode, we're going to speak with an executive leader in the industry of manufacturing and talk about what they're doing to help their members plan for a future business exit. But first, let's hear from Sunbelt Business Advisors. You wouldn't go deep sea fishing without a guide or skydive without an instructor. So don't sell your business without a broker. Now is a great time to sell a business. Many are selling at a premium. Contact a business broker at sunbeltminnesota.com or call Sunbelt Business Advisors at 612-455-0880 and get a free confidential business valuation so you'll know what your business might be worth. Because selling your business is the biggest financial decision you may ever make. There is a record number of buyers looking for businesses right now. It is a seller's market. You could list, sell, and get more for your business now and start the next successful chapter of your life. Call 612-455-0880 today or visit sunbeltminnesota.com. Minnesota's largest seller of companies. 612-455-0880, sunbeltminnesota.com. Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the podcast show for business owners. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Steve Kalina, who is the president of the Minnesota Precision Manufacturers Association. Steve, welcome to Poise for Exit. Yeah, thanks for having me, Julie. So good to have you here. There's a lot that we could be talking about, especially in the space of manufacturing. And obviously, you've seen a lot because of the leadership role that you have. But before we get into all of that, I wondered if you could just share with us a little bit for the benefit of our listeners um, who may not know about your organization, what does Minnesota Precision Manufacturing do and, and what kind of an organization are they? Sure. Yeah, so MPMA has been around for 67 years now. Mm. Uh, and actually, I was a member of MPMA for uh, about 20 years. So MPMA is really just a community of manufacturers around the state. Um, you know, we bring bring the manufacturing leaders together to to talk about workforce issues, to help them, uh, you know, compare best practices and, and, you know, get to know peers in the industry to network, uh, you know, so we've got educational events on a number of different topics. We've got social events just to bring people together. Uh, and, so, and then beyond manufacturers, we have other non-manufacturing companies that get involved as well, just to uh, provide resources to our members. So we do kind of have a legislative front, you know, we do some level of lobbying, Mm. Uh, but otherwise, most of our focus is on that workforce development and helping companies figure out how to how to recruit, you know, young people into the industry, how to uh, retain people, how to train them. And, and uh, you know, as, as I'm sure we'll talk about today, a little bit of some of the labor challenges that uh, have, have been a, a big challenge for our members. So Boy, it's, just, it's an amazing yeah. community, though, where it's uh, a, a group of great leaders in the industry. So. Well, I've always heard good things about your organization, and I have a special place in my heart for manufacturing firms. I've really enjoyed having them as clients over the years. Um, they're just really down-to-earth people, and they tend to be very focused on making sure that their employees are satisfied and 
in the right roles and and things like that. So I know that your organization really helps to perpetuate that. And so I just want to congratulate you for the difference that you're making out there. It's awesome. So let's talk about, yeah, for sure. Um, What what exactly is your role? I know you're the president of the organization. So what does that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, we've got a a member board uh, Mm. that our volunteers. So I actually used to be on the board as a member of the association. Yeah. You said that. Then, okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got to know what it was like to, uh, to get involved in the association, getting to know a lot of the leaders in the mm-hmm. industry. Um, and then about, let's hear yeah, about three and a half years ago, um, I had just decided to make a change for myself personally and, and moving on from my family business. Um, and so I just kind of using my, my, uh, networking, uh, uh, you know, skills and uh, the network I developed, I, of course, reached out to uh, the person who was leading MPMA at the time to say, hey, I'm, I'm looking to make a change and uh, wanted to see if she had some ideas or just people to talk to. And I, it, it's kind of fortuitous that this whole cycle or you know, how it uh, came full, full circle for me. But I called her at about, uh, I think, 6 p.m. on a Thursday night to say, hey, I'm you know, looking to make this change. And I'd known her for 15 years. She knew mm-hmm. my family and uh, just a great person. And she said, well, you know, can I tell you our situation? She said, you know, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. meeting a meeting with the board chair to talk about who's going to run MPMA next. Is that something you're interested in? Oh my uh, gosh. So I never even thought about running an association. I didn't really know. I mean, I knew what the association was, but I didn't know yeah. what it meant to run an association. So, um, so yeah, I kind of transitioned from being that volunteer, uh, in, you know, member of MPMA to then running it. So, so yeah, as the president, I, I mean, I, I report to our, our volunteer board, uh, sure. but then we have a staff of MPMA resources that do mm-hmm. all the operations of MPMA. So just like running any business. I, running any business, any right. Operations. So mm-hmm. And, and wow. Oh, and, and it seems just so um, fortuitous that, that, you know, you made the call when you did and, and the timing of everything, it all worked out the way that it has. And, and if you're having fun and you're making a difference, then it was obviously meant to be. Well, and just to speak to that, um, you know, the when I put together that networking list or, you know, just who I should call on when I was mm-hmm. leaving my business, uh, I looked back at that list and I had 55 people that were on this. And this wasn't a list of just, okay, I've met someone at a coffee shop one day, they're on my list. These were people I'd known for years that I knew if I called on them, they would be there to support me. Mm-hmm. And I had 55 people that were MPMA resources. And these are business leaders, owners. Uh, you know, men, people I considered mentors of mine. So just a, a fantastic community of people to be able to rely on and to trust. And so that, that to me really speaks to what MPMA is all about. Yeah, no kidding. And your background in family business, let's talk about that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Dynamic Group was actually, I just looked at the calendar. Tomorrow is our 45th anniversary. Goodness. Uh, and so I've been a part of the, the family business, well, I guess since before I was born not quite to 45 yet. Uh, but I, you know, I grew up around the industry. Uh, my dad, mm-hmm. my grandpa was a toolmaker in the, in the Navy. And then for his career, my dad was a toolmaker in the Navy. And then for his career, my brother was a toolmaker. Uh, I kind of went more the plastics route, but got involved in the family business pretty young. And then uh, just, you know, stuck with it where I was there for about 20 years. And mm. uh, in the last few years, I've been, you know, running the company, you know, in charge of operations and we had three of us in the second generation that were kind of partnered to run the business. And uh, so I had, you know, some ownership level and then management responsibilities. So got a, a good, strong familiarity with, uh, you know, 
management, you know, of operations, as well as understanding the family business dynamics and trying to balance the two. So. Well, there's, that is definitely an art more than a science, right? I mean, obviously you want to have governance in place and some of those tactical logistical things, but really it's all about managing the relationships and, and you get it, you know, you did it for a long time and you get it. So I'm sure that that, um, the empathy that you have, that you bring to the table for the members of MPMA has got to be uh, really valuable, especially in certain situations, right? Where they really, they probably call on you in certain situations, don't they? Well, and it just, it built uh, a level of trust and, right. uh, you know, yeah. on day one where they knew that, you know, I, I, in fact, I just talked to one of our members, uh, got off the phone with them before this, this uh, podcast that uh, we were talking about the recession in 2009, you know, 10. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we actually have what we call leadership councils within MPMA, which are really, you know, the group, the tight knit groups of those kind of leaders. And so we were talking about just that ability to talk to someone else who understands what it's like to, to say, you know what, tomorrow I have to get up in the morning and go to my shop and, and cut 25% of my workforce. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a tough pill to swallow and, and there's no good way mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, but to, to uh, understand what that's like and to go through it, you know, back in the recession, I remember I was a manager, but I did literally have to cut 25% of my staff on one day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for the next months after that, I was uh, assembling my own molds that needed to go in the, in our presses. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, actually for a while we had to uh, part ways with our uh, janitorial services. So, I, you know, I went back to uh, cleaning toilets as a manager because, yeah. you know, I, I, I didn't necessarily want to uh, ask employees after I just cut their coworkers, I wasn't going to go to them and say, okay, well, now I need you to go clean toilets. Right. Um, so it's those kind of things that not only is a management, but also as an owner that you have to take care of and you got to make things work. So. Yeah, you really do. I, I lived a lot of that um, myself in the past before I started consulting. So I understand where you're coming from and, sure. and, and you do, you know, you're the one that's got to get out there and, and um, buy the supplies even, you know, when, when, when you're short staffed like that. So that, and, and the empathy that you have then for your members, like I said, has to be uh, really super helpful because not only are you a, probably a good sounding board, but you're also a good catalyst for being able to kind of identify where they might need the most help and what resources would be available and, and helpful for them within your organization, all of those things. So when it comes to, you know, obviously this show is called Poised for Exit. We don't always talk about exit planning in this show, but I would like to ask you, you know, because you're so close to it and you've got so many members, what are you guys doing with regard to planning for exits within your members? Like, are you teaching them? Are you talking about it? Um, how does that work? Or, or tell me what's happening there. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, we made a decision about uh, coming up on four years ago to kind of shift our strategic plan to workforce development. So that's really our primary focus. And we try and do everything around that. Mm-hmm. However, you know, if you, and that really has been the the number one issue for manufacturers. But absolutely, if you're a company looking at transition, everything is important, right? I mean, it's it's not that you just look at the value of your business and talk to your lawyers and CPAs and and, and put together a deal and move on. Right. Um, you have to make sure your business is ready. So, though we haven't necessarily shifted our focus to be on transitional planning, we know that. So many of our members, uh, you know, are a lot of them are those those baby boomer entrepreneurs who started their company 40 to 45 years ago. Yes. And there are a lot of them. They're all in a spot now to figure out what am I doing with my business? And mm-hmm. it's not just, again, you don't just say, well, I'm going to focus on selling it and forget everything else. 
I still have to deal with customers calling today. I still have to deal with supply chain issues. I still have to deal with the labor issues. Mm-hmm. So as we talk about, you know, labor, we're also talking about, okay, how do you strengthen your business so that you're setting it up for success for the next generation or for, for the next buyer? Um, and so, as I said before, you know, really MPMA is a great community of resources. So we actually kind of vet any new members that are, especially the non-manufacturers to say, well, okay, well, we don't just need another bank or another CPA firm. We need to have the right partners that can be resources for our members. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I know all of them. I know each one of our banks or CPA firms or uh, law firms or our IT firms. Mm-hmm. And I work with them directly to figure out how do they become a resource for our members so that when it comes to a, a, a webinar or a, a lunch and learn session that we're going to do on taxes, well, it's not just have someone come in and present on taxes. It's a partner member who's going to work with our members and, and those members have gotten to know and trust and they know I recognize Sarah at our meeting. I see her and, and I know that when I am going to call on a CPA firm, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start with that. Firm. In fact, I, I just had a few, uh, I mean, these kind of happen on a regular basis, but just a couple that have happened recently where um, I did have one company that was specifically looking at his next phase, you know, and transitional planning. And he just, he was kind of at his wits end trying to keep the business running because he had, you know, through COVID had lost people and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, was struggling to find people. So he's, as the business owner is, you know, rolling up his sleeves and digging back into the business, but yet supposed to be figuring out what to do for a transition. He said, can you help me, Steve? You know who I should talk to. So I connected him with one of our members who um, specifically works on transitional planning. And so they've been working with him on, you know, who's his successor and how do you fix some of the issues he's dealing with. Um, I also just a couple of days ago, I got a call from one of our longtime members who said, you know, I'm, I'm doing a building addition. I wanted to kind of start with some of our member uh, partners that do, you know, general contracting. And he said, you know, Hey, this, this one company, uh, should I talk to them? What's your take on them? And he even said later, he said, well, I thought you were just going to say, yes, they're a member. I said, and I was able to speak directly to, I said, well, this person, I, I, I spent a lot of time with, we went golfing a few weeks ago and this person actually ran into it, uh, you know, uh, with my family and had, you know, I, I've gotten to know them so well and I know what they do and I know the work they do the mm-hmm. people they are, that I can speak directly to that. And those become, become resources, trusted resources for our members. So it's not that we're necessarily focusing on transitional planning as a an initiative of, our, of ours. Sure. But it's more about how do we provide those resources and the connections so that when you're, you know, again, it's not just when I'm going to make the decision I call on the, the lawyers and, and accountants. Mm-hmm. It's how do I connect with the peers in the industry for best practices or or to, to commiserate uh or how do I sound ideas off of Steve? Or how do I just have a casual conversation with um, with a CPA that I'm not saying I'm going to put it on the market today, my business on the market today, but at least I can start having those conversations. So we just kind of create that trusted community where where you can bounce ideas off of people, talk openly, trust others, mm-hmm. um, and you know, kind of start figuring out your path. Well, speaking from experience, um, because I do it every day with my clients. Uh, you're you're getting them started on on the right path because really you can't just say okay today I'm going to figure out what my transition plan is and I'm going to figure out my timeline. It's not possible to do that without the connection and help um, of other advisors in different disciplines. So you're doing exactly what you should do to get things started for them. And I agree with you a hundred percent with regard to focusing on the workforce because 
honestly, I don't think that's going to get any better anytime soon. And I think that the more proactive people can be, owners can be around recruiting the best and brightest. And it's basically a paradigm shift, right? From the way things used to be to the way they are now. And so I'm really glad that you guys have got that focus because obviously they need that. And so are you, are you uh, working with helping them work with recruiters too, or what, what are some of the things that you guys are doing? Let's just touch on that real quick on, on, work, uh, so, on workforce focus. Yeah. So, you know, and again, taking my experiences of knowing what it's like to be a manager, trying mm-hmm. to, to find mm-hmm. people and, and find good talent. Um, we actually uh, in the last couple of years now developed a, what we call a training academy, but in reality, it's, it's, more than the curriculum or the actual training, it's more about how do we help manufacturers figure out how to, one, partner with trade schools, and two, uh, create their own in-house programs so that we know we can't just rely on tech schools to graduate not only the number of people we need, but to right. be people to be at the level we need them. Mm-hmm. We need to partner in that process so that it becomes a multiple-year path of how do you take a, a person who's off the street, no experience in manufacturing, and in a short period, have them replace somebody who's going to retire with 40 years of experience. Well, mm-hmm. you can't exactly do that, no. but how do you speed up that process? And so, you know, we want to make sure we don't circumvent the, the education system, but how do we partner with it and collaborate uh, and help these companies figure out how to make, make that a successful, uh, uh, you know, apprenticeship program, in-house training program? Uh, because that not only helps develop those people, but it also becomes a recruiting tool. So it, we do have companies internally in, in our membership that are recruiting or, you know, staffing agencies. Uh, but we're, again, putting more of that onus on the manufacturer to say, okay, if, if, if all you're doing is saying, okay, if all we as an association are doing are saying is manufacturing is a great career path and we've got great paying jobs. <laughs> we'll now just change the industry to IT, healthcare, anything else. Sure. We're all saying the same thing. So that right. is not recruiting. No. Um, but when you can bring in someone off the street and say, okay, you can go make a job, uh, get paid $20 an hour in retail or IT or anyone else, anywhere else unskilled, and we'll pay you 20 bucks an hour. But the difference is here, I can sit down with you and paint this picture for the next two or three years, what your progression is going to look like, what the yes. pay skill is going to look like, right. what your career path looks like. And I will help you do it. I will help you pay for that schooling. I will get mm-hmm. you the training you need. Now that becomes the sale, the, the sales pitch to a, to a young person um, and makes them more confident that you're there to help them. So we're really focused on how do we help companies do that? How do you engage with the local high school? How do you start having that conversation with the 17-year-old across the street? Again, to talk about the career path more than just what day one wages are, because everyone's fighting over wages right now. That's just a never-ending battle. Right. Uh, how, do you, how do you help a young person see what that career path is all about? Well, I would think, too, when you take them under your wing like that and you have a career path all mapped out, that that would help with employee retention, right? Because they have a path. They have something to look forward to. They know what's coming versus just living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck, and then looking for the next job in a year and a half or two years, which, you know, statistically happens in the younger generations if they're not right. Nurtured and um, worked with in terms of like, here's what we want you to do. And here's why we value you and using your talents and skills. Yeah. So we'll never give up on, I was going to say, we'll never give up on chasing after those 16 and 17 year olds to get them into the industry. Yeah. But what we often find is we get the 25 year olds who went the four-year degree path Mm -hmm. or went into some other industry and then came back to us. So it's, we'll we'll take anyone, but uh, obviously Mm -hmm. the younger, the better to 
Yeah, for sure. Well, it seems like that the the workforce program that you have is following what the trends are today in terms of developing and being proactive instead of reactive and trying to fill positions that become open, right? Um, Which is probably different now than it even was a year ago. I mean, I know we were looking at this a year ago, but but definitely even stronger and and more um, important today. So um, we've run out of time. I'd love to keep going. Um, but but let's just talk really quick about um, some recommendations that you might have, Steve, for the companies that and owners that are listening, the leadership um, folks and advisors that are listening, even for for the manufacturing industry. What are a couple of takeaways that you'd like to share? Sure. Yeah, and I think we've we've touched on it a little bit in that um, you know I think companies need to take a holistic approach. Again, as you t- as you mentioned, you know you can't wait until the eleventh hour before you decide to to plan out your transition. So. Um, we all know we need to work on, uh, you know, labor and supply chain and other areas. Um, so when you're working on, you shouldn't, I guess, the, you know, it shouldn't be in silos, right? So don't right. focus on your operations, people fixing operations, and then you as an owner solely look at ownership transition, but start looking at what is the be- best path going forward that if you're going to transition, you know, sell your company to the management team or to your son or daughter or to a, you know, a private equity firm, what are the right steps to make the business healthier and more valuable, of course. So, um, and that's a tough challenge when you're looking at trying to balance, uh, you know, if I'm going to do a, a seller financed uh, transition to the management team, well, if I'm going to manage, you know, uh, manage that through cash flows, how do I manage that, the cash flow for that versus reinvesting in capital equipment for automation or right. IT infrastructure mm-hmm. for cybersecurity or, the, you know, or regulatory things that you have to do operationally. Mm-hmm. And if you don't prepare for that and don't plan for that, now you're scrambling trying to pick between them. So I think uh, making sure you map that out to figure out what am I doing operationally, where am I investing in my business, at the same time, how does that you know factor in with with uh, potentially selling my business as well? Yeah, the timeline is super important. And in addition to getting the business ready, we also have to prepare the owner, um, which is another distinction of exit planning. We don't really talk about that too much on this show, but maybe next time. Sure. Um, I, I really appreciate you being on the show and thank you for sharing what you did today, Steve. It, you know, it goes fast, right? Yeah, um, but I know a lot of really good content and um, I, hopefully, you know, we were able to plant some seeds out there for our listeners. And um, speaking of our listeners... You can find this and all our previous episodes for Poised for Exit on the Poised for Exit website at poisedforexit.com. Please uh, join us again next time. Thank you for following us and subscribing. We really appreciate your loyalty. And Steve, thanks again for being on the show. 